screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. It's brought to you by Shortbox. That's right. Somebody wanted to partner with us. Shortbox is an app and a website for safely buying and selling graded comic books. You can get it on iOS, Android, even a regular old computer. And they're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industries. And Shortbox trusts us. Therefore... We have worth. Amazing. Uh, right now, they're doing a giveaway where you can win a free copy of The Dark Knight Returns number one, the 2018 printing signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen. <laughs> Go to shortbox.com slash screw it to enter your email. No purchase necessary to be in the running. And that contest is going until March 10th, 2022. Download Shortboxed today. I will. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. And this is the only podcast in the history of recorded time where two people that are brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers slash hosts slash kind of comedians, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one, Will Hines. Uh, Kevin, we're doing another Mutants and Mailbags episode. Yeah, you, uh, you know that's true because the paparazzi have uh, gathered outside our respective homes whenever somebody, we record one of these. Yep, somebody leaked that this was being recorded. Somebody in our staff is for sure getting paid off by uh, um, multiple paparazzi areas, and they kind of swarm us. They want to know what we think of these X-Men comics. They certainly want to know what's in our mailbag. Yep. They're all uh, Italian reporters, too. You say paparazzi. They truly are paparazzo. Uh, yeah. Outside of my draw, they're like, ah, Senora Hines, mutants, yeah. yeah, I mean, as most of our listeners know, because they're Italian, our, our podcast is huge in Italy. That's where we're yeah. biggest. Yeah. In Nor- Northern Italy, uh, yeah. uh, uh, we're pretty big. Uh, Florence, we're huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know why, I guess. I don't get we're it covering like Italian comics. In Pompeii, weirdly, it's big. The tourists of Pompeii, like when you get off the train there to look at Pompeii and the. Yeah, we're really big with tourists, is what's really strange about it. They don't like us once they're home, but once they get to Italy, they're like, what's going on with screw? We're just going to talk about comics. Something about Italy. uh, We put up that one billboard, uh, maybe like two hours outside Rome, and I guess it worked. I don't know. You never know. You never know what's going to, what's going to, what's going to trigger something. Um, in our mutants so, yeah. mailbags episodes, Kevin, what do we do? What is what's going on here? We cover a handful of issues of Chris Claremont's uh, Uncanny X Men run. Yep, because we didn't read it at the time, even though we mm-hmm. were reading comics. Yeah, uh, we we consider ourselves like idiots. We consider ourselves uh, uh, big um, comic book fans, particularly of '80s comic books and anything <laughs> that was big in the '80s, except yeah. for the single biggest comic book of them all. <laughs> Which was the X-Men. Right. So we're making up for that knowledge. And then we also answer reader mail on these episodes. That's right. So in this episode, we're doing uh, issues 163, 164, 165, 166. It's a big old battle versus the brood. Yeah. Um, it's all it, brood. It started already. We're, and it continues. And it's not done yet by the end of 166. Yeah. I mean, it is a, a long, long uh, thing. So, Kevin, what's your take overall? It was a, it was a slog to read these issues. Kevin, I'm going to say something. Oh, I, I think you're not a fan of the X-Men. What do you think? I think I am a fan of the X-Men. I'm not a fan of, I think, The Brood. Uh, and the, but the last, like, four Meet and Mailbags episodes, you've been like, these are a drag. Well, I know. And you're always like, oh, these are great. I love all of it. And then I'm like, you like this part? And you're like, no. What about this part? No. You're like, I like well, this one the, panel. The, the good parts where... have more of an impact on me. Like yeah, the the character backstory building makes up for this sort of like what's going on plot. I think about this, Will. For the last year of X-Men comics, they've been fighting Brood. Yeah. I would be bored of this if I was coming. Every time I go to the shop, I'm like, St- not done yet? Yeah. Uh, If I got hooked with the uh, Dark Phoenix saga and Days of Future Past. Yeah. And then and then this all started. I'd be like, you know, interested at first. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I find it interesting. I think a year later, I'm tired of it. I have this problem right now. DC Comics is doing this thing where like they launch new books. I'm kind of interested in them. 
mm-hmm. then like six issues later, that same first story is still going on. I'm like, I guess I don't care anymore. Yeah. It's it, it there's a sameness that kind of overcomes it. And I'm like, I remember nothing you, is changing, nothing is evolving. I think didn't you have this complaint, if I may harken back, of lost first Battlestar Galactica that you were like lost I, sort of I like, didn't watch Battlestar Galactica, but not a lot is revealed and Battlestar stuff is oh okay. I thought there was some show where you're like, oh, stuff is happening here. And uh Prison Break would be the show I enjoyed. Oh, okay. Uh, Prison Break <laughs> is a dumb show, but um uh, Stuff things happens. changed drastically and, and quickly and fast. So when, when Lost was airing, Prison Break was also airing, or maybe season two of Lost mm-hmm. corresponded to season one of Prison Break, something like that. And I got bored of Lost and gave up on it. And then I watched Prison Break. And people made fun of me because I, I watched all of it. But I was like, every week, like 10 things jump leap forward. Um, and like, uh, it keeps moving. Uh, where I would watch Lost and I would I would watch like three episodes of Lost and be like, what's different now than it was three episodes ago? Absolutely nothing. Nothing yeah. has changed. Right, right. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I know Joss Whedon is... Uh, um, the, everybody's uh, favorite? Uh, hated uh, amongst everyone. 100% but when I love. started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer in season two, like one of the things that hooked me on the show, I like the characters. I love the characters. But also there'd be these big reveals that had impact immediately on the show. Yeah. Uh, and it, it felt like there was like these, every show had like a, a distinct adventure. It felt like there'd sometimes be two parters and things like that. There was a season long arc kind of building slowly in the background, but it didn't feel like every episode was what's going on with Spike and Drusilla. It felt like this is the episode and we'll check in on Spike and Drusilla. And this has felt like, and it hasn't, we had like, we had the interlude with Dracula and Bella Scalas or whatever the demon name was and Professor X gold hunting uh, with Magneto. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, this has been all brewed for yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and we haven't had uh, – I've read ahead. I read like the next issue. It is so much better, even though it's still a little broody, just because they're back on Earth doing Earth stuff. And we yeah. get to see like these characters interact with each other. Yeah. Um, hey, I I, again, I don't mean it as an accusation. I'm interested in the Kevin yeah. Hines takes no, and hot takes. I'm surprised you you would like these issues. Then I'm surprised you've been enjoying this because I find it. I like uh, the, I like this batch a little. Through. I like this batch a little less than the last one. The last one, the I was kind of buoyed by character development, like you know, focusing on Nightcrawler's faith a little bit and Kitty Pride's faith. In the Dracula story, it was interesting. Uh, Ileana aging yeah. seven years and thinking about the implications of that made that compelling to me. And mm-hmm. the demon story. And then in the Hunt for the Nazi Gold story, it was really the the reveal of Magneto's past that yeah. that made those issues like compelling to me. I mean, I agree. Sure. The plots were like, what's happening? But I'd also say like those things that you just cited are like five total panels worth of comics. I'm going to push back a little bit. They That's... And I know you agree with this. The number of panels doesn't matter. It's what impact does it have on you yeah. for the story? And like, especially, I'll, I'll I'll say especially in the Magneto Professor X one. Uh, again, I agree. The plot with the Nazi gold, the Hydra stuff is kind of loopy and forgettable. I did not really enjoy it. Um, but I, the whole time, like every single time they talk to each other or have a little philosophical disagreement because there's more than four or five panels of the, it's not just the Holocaust stuff. It's like yeah, yeah. Magneto saying we should kill these guys. And professor mm-hmm. X saying, no, 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 we can't kill anybody. And Magneto kind of pushing back and being like, why wouldn't they kill us and stuff like yeah, that? And I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, so I it's just, a, in that issue in particular, I do think there's a little bit more going on than just like a panel of flashback. I, in the Dracula I, I, story, I, I think, right. the, I think it's the like problem three is, panels. I think the problem is when I've read like four or five panels of, you know, Professor X going to a, a ball and, and and mentally going into a, some girl's head, and then uh, uh, Baron Strucker ranting for a while. It's hard for me to get invested in the one or two panel conversation. I, I've already like zoned out. It's like if you're watching a show and there's like a good scene in the middle, yeah, but it's a bad episode. I'll miss that good scene sometimes because it's like oh, I start I started looking at my phone. And I missed it. I missed a moment. Uh, I wonder I, that happens with me in comics. I'm like, oh, you lost me. And then, yeah, maybe something could happen. But by that point, I, my brain was skimming the comic. Um, I'll, I'll put it to our listeners. Uh, if you're listening and you are a fan of this era of X-Men comics, let us know why. What are we missing? Maybe, maybe there was something at the time 
where like in the context of other comics, you know, there was something about these that, that we're not appreciating. Um, maybe there's something that just cause we're a bunch of old, old, uh, old dudes that we're not like getting the excitement of, of, of whatever. Um, I reread a run of comics. I really enjoyed Jeff Parker's Thunderbolts, which is a, mostly like a suicide squad riff. It's where the Thunderbolts are all criminals, mm-hmm. but they've been uh, recruited to do heroic deeds led by Luke Cage. But these are, these are not the Thunderbolts trying to redeem themselves. These are the Thunderbolts that have been forced into this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sort of a dirty dozen irredeemable suicide villains. Yeah. yeah. And it's a really fun run with really great art. And they'd start this, uh, there's this stretch near the end where uh, the main team starts traveling back in time and Luke Cage gathers a second team to follow them. It's a really fun story, but it does, it feels like it goes on forever because like every other issue is switching between these two Thunderbolts teams. And by the time it wraps up, I sort of didn't care anymore, even though I start off loving it. And that's a, a run that uh, uh, I read and enjoyed as it was coming out. But even when it was coming out, I remember as it wrapped up, I was like, Oh, I'm no longer excited about the next issue. I'm just sort of like, I'm momentum has carried me through the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can do long stories at work. Planet Hulk is a long story that Greg Pak did that hit, uh, was sort of inspiration for Thor Ragnarok, part of Thor Ragnarok. It's really great. It runs forever, but it was, it didn't feel like one long story. It felt like 10 or 12 stories under this banner of Planet Hulk. Yeah. Um, and now I haven't reread that in a while. So maybe if I reread it, I'd have the same feeling. It's also maybe it's my age. I don't know. It's like I'm sitting and reading these comics at night. I'm like, ugh, I got to read tired. two more of these for tomorrow. Yeah, it's kind of it's homework for your podcast. Yeah. Where I, I, some I, of I, the I, earlier issues we were reading, I was like, oh, this is exciting. And I'm yes. happy to be doing this, preparing for tomorrow's podcast. Yes. And I, these, I, I, this year of comics has been bad. Not bad, but average i i do i I actually i see the points you make i i think all the points you make about these comics are legitimate i think it's just a question of weight like yes the elements you're saying are bad but are they bad enough to make me not like the story not always although i now hang on i'm going to contradict myself right away because in these issues we're about to get into i got so confused as to just like the mechanics of what was happening that it was boring like i just was like i don't even care why this is the way they have to save the day or why this is the way it's a threat. The, none of it, none of it makes sense to me. Uh, also like even like little things like I thought professor X was captured. Uh, uh, that's how I'm not paying attention. I guess I was, I thought he was one of the many X-Men who was captured by the brood, but he's like back in New York during this story going, ah, I guess my X-Men got kidnapped again. And I'm like, Oh, you weren't with them. <laughs> yeah. I, I know. Sworn I, you were with them. I lose track of stuff like that all the time. Um, why don't we get into the issues and we'll, we'll continue our debate as we, with some examples. Yeah. Uh, okay. So issue 163, great cover of the brood attacking Kitty Pride. Uh, uh, Kitty Pride. I'll say this about the brood. They are like really scary looking. They're very like, I think inspired. I don't know for sure. They remind me a lot of alien, the creature from the xenomorph from yeah, alien. They've got to, I mean, they gotta be. And, and that's of course a huge, relatively recent sci-fi hit of the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and they and they look genuinely scary, and this is like really creepy settings. So yeah, that cover of like the the brood yeah. confronting Kitty, scary. It's I like mean, the brood overall. I think what Claremont is doing, I I want to speak for him, but he asked me to. Hmm. Um, and he's setting up a, a a challenge for these X Men that feels unbeatable, right? Like every time it seems like they get to a point where it's like, oh, this is how they're going to win. That gets taken away from them constantly throughout these four issues. Right. To the point where like, oh, how do they win this? But then the way they win it is like some magical whale soul saves them or something. Yeah, there's a lot of just like... this. But they get into a position where I don't know what else could get them out of it. Yeah, he kind of writes himself into a place where only like a miracle Mm -hmm. would get them out and that's what gets them out. And sort of like powers are granted to people and then taken away conveniently. It's, it's yeah. Um, I, there is something interesting about like, oh, if you if they were just captured by the brood, but then like Wolverine overhears someone going, as long as we don't kill that one egg sack, everything will hatch, you know. And then you're like, oh, just go destroy that egg sack, and it worked. That wouldn't be that interesting either because it'd be like pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Um. So like. I get part of it, but like by making these brutes so unbeatable, the defeat of them feels 
disconnected from anything I care about. I guess we also have to remember that this is pre-graphic novel. This is before an era where everything is expected to be collected. And the goal of the creative team is just to get you to turn the page and buy the next issue. So if it, if you step back and the five issue arc is a little uneven, yeah, they're not thinking about it from that perspective too much. They're just like, what makes them turn the page? I also don't think this story started with Chris Claremont going, this will be an eight issue storyline with a three issue interlude. And he's just like, this is this issue. And then I'll figure out next issue in a week oh, or two. You know what else happens in this, this little run we're doing? Paul Smith comes aboard, uh, yeah. who becomes like the regular artist. I love his art. And I think it actually steps up in quality once he's there. It does help. Uh, uh, and I think once they get back from space, it even goes up another level. So um, Paul, Paul Smith's entry, maybe that's just, I don't know. This his- is the second big space epic that I, with no proof, assume Cockrum pushed for. Yes. He likes space stuff that Cockrum did not finish. Right, right, right. Um, Last one was finished by John Byrne. This one is finished by Paul Smith. Uh, there's something very funny about like, uh, Dick Cockrum was like, no, we got to go back to space and do all this stuff. I got these alien ships I want to create and draw on these new costumes. Awesome. Great. I don't got time. I can't finish this. Um, it's very hard to summarize these issues quickly because they're so complicated. Yeah, let's just flip through it real quick and just say what's happened. This issue also has a lot of uh, Carol Danvers getting powers back. Right. So the I'll, I'll, I'll say high level, the brood have planted eggs, sort of alien style, inside the X-Men. So there's like a queen brood and then her like soldiers. And then the X-Men all have eggs inside of them, except for Wolverine because his healing factor killed the egg. And when we left, Wolverine was like, okay, I got to go rescue the X-Men if they're even alive. This is the first issue of his rescue mission. But like you say, we kind of shift to Carol Danvers and the brood are experimenting on her. And somehow that experiment awakens the powers that had been stolen by Rogue. Or like different powers. I'm unclear. It's kind of a Phoenix type of thing where she's sort of – what they say is she gets the power of a star. She can sort of like invoke yeah. the power and magnitude of stars in some sort of vague way that I don't understand. But she goes from just being a strong, fast kind of Captain America super soldier person to like massively powerful, almost herald of Galactus power because of yeah. what the broods are doing. And Ka- and Chris Claremont worked on the Miss Marvel book. So I think he has like I think he often does. He feels ownership of her. Yes. Uh, and then either, I think he might be the one who took the powers away, but maybe he was told to, or maybe he was told she couldn't be Miss Marvel anymore. Uh, I'm unclear about any of that stuff, but he definitely feels like he wants to to re-set her up to be a great character. And, you know, I mean, right now she's Captain Marvel. Would that have happened if Chris Claremont didn't take hold of her for a while? I, I doubt don't know. it. I don't know. Probably yeah, not. It. She probably would have gotten lost to the ages. Maybe not. Um, but... You know, Karen Danvers is somebody who's gone through many identities. She was Miss Marvel. She becomes binary in this. She becomes Warbird for a while. Uh, and now she is Captain Marvel. And that seems like it's going to stick. And that's great. So the, the power, the power she the displays helps. here seems to be the level of power she has as Captain Marvel. So it looks like yeah. Claremont's the one who powered her up to like, you know, Titan level. Yeah. Um, uh, so that I don't know. Uh, I'll say the overall dramatic sort of uh thing going on in the plot is the brood want to capture the X-Men, but they can't kill them because they have eggs inside of them. So the brood cannot fight fully strong, but they are using all their powers to kidnap the X-Men. And the other thing is Wolverine knows about the eggs and the X-Men don't know about the eggs. And he is constantly thinking, am I going to have to kill my teammates if they like transform into if the eggs hatch and they transform into monsters right this is like the dramatic yeah. tension throughout multiple issues and there's also this aspect that like the x-men don't want to kill the brood because they're not morally killers wrong, and wolverine wants to kill them and i think so does captain marvel right i'm the sorry binary is okay binary. with it uh and wolverine carol danvers and wolverine are okay with killing and, and queen Lalandra. but uh storm for sure is not uh cyclops is not colossus is not my carl doesn't really think about it but i gotta assume he is not yeah, so there's a lot of like, is killing right or wrong on the X-Men side? The brood are like, we would kill these assholes, but we got to protect the eggs. Yeah. And then Wolverine, like, how far am I willing to go to save everybody? And I should also say, the people them. who are willing to kill are basically like, uh, uh, we don't want to kill everyone, but 
this is a pretty extreme case. And yeah, I gotta more, say, I, I normally am on the side of don't kill. I think that's a more interesting choice. I'd kill if, the brood. I'd kill the brood in a heart. There's no reason not to. I can't, they're painted in in a Gotham from Dark Knight Returns like fashion, <laughs> where you're like, yeah, this is justified. Yeah, they're just they're just like very hostile colonists who abuse who gleefully abuse like peaceful yeah. creatures. Yeah, um, they're parasites. Yeah. And they're directly threatening the X-Men. So, yeah, makes sense to me. But that's kind of the the big strokes here mm-hmm. uh, of what's happening. In this first issue, yeah, Carol Danvers gets her powers. Wolverine kind of reunites with the X-Men, and he doesn't tell them they have eggs. And they are looking to escape, basically. Wolverine wants to kill the queen. Cyclops wants to escape. And that's that's kind of what they're dealing with. Yeah, is that all that really happens in this show? I'm zipping through it real quick. They end up getting back to Queen Lalandra's ship, which was stuck in the top of a of a beached space whale. Right, and then they they fly off, and and Wolverine also seems to get cured of his weird skin thing between issues. I guess that sort of makes sense, right? Because his healing powers just working yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's just no comment on it. There, there's um, stuff that doesn't make sense, but I think that one does make sense. Yeah. So they kind of all escape. Oh, yeah. And I think they were getting ready to kill the queen, but then oh, they yeah, teleported Wol- away. Wolverine was about to do it, and they get teleported away, and he's mad about it. He's like, you should have given me time to do it. And you know what, Wolverine? You're right. There, it's also interesting. They Sometimes they do these things in comics where like Kitty Pride is trapped in an airlock with this one of the alien creatures, and she's like, she doesn't want to kill it either. She doesn't. She's a kid. Doesn't want to kill. Uh, though I think in that situation you become a murderer. I don't know. Uh, but she's scared. She doesn't want to kill this thing. But Nightcrawler's outside the airlock and dying, and she doesn't yeah. know what to do. And she's like, maybe I could open this airlock. This thing will get sucked out and die, and I can pull Nightcrawler in and save him. I don't know if I want to do that. And then the alien accidentally hits the button himself. Right. And it's one of those convenient things where it's like, oh, the alien dies, but Kitty Pride's hands Kitty are clean. Yeah, Kitty didn't do it. Now I'll say that if if you're if I'm trying to sometimes this this is the top selling book of Marvel at this time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And so I'm like, sometimes I'm trying to look at it, what made it popular. And I think little moments like that, the little sequence where it's like Kitty versus the alien in the airlock and Nightcrawler's outside, <clears throat> th- that's kind of the cleanest and simplest action sequence in that story. Mm-hmm. And maybe that just dominated people's experience. And they kind of they kind of let the other stuff just wash over them. And, mm-hmm. and and it might be a thing they weren't allowed to do, but I still th- I think like if Kitty had to kill that alien and deal with the repercussions of how that made her feel, that's a more interesting story than what happened there. Um, but but again, I would be reading this comic, Kevin Hines, fifth grader or whatever. I don't know how old I, and this time I'd be even younger. But let's pretend I'm a fifth grader reading this, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, Ugh, I'm tired of these brood. Let's get back right. to Earth. Hey, your current Kevin Hines is tired of the brood, so it certainly makes sense that that guy would be. Yeah, but I'd be even more tired if I if this had been like a year of my life. I, it's a it's a point where it's like, oh, could I spend my sixty cents on a different book? The uh, next issue, I started thinking I, about that. The next issue, I get even more confused. But cool somehow, cover with binary. Oh, great cover! You know, Cockrum's visual design of characters is so good, and it's really good here. Um. So binary, a hero I've never heard of, a costume I don't recognize, but looks great. Um, has kind of realized her new powers of invoking star energy or whatever that is, and she kind of goes and hurts a lot of the brood, maybe or I don't I don't know what happens. And Storm is getting sicker and sicker, and Kitty Pride heals miraculously from her wounds. So the X-Men are noticing, hey, our bodies are doing weird things. It's all because of the alien eggs, but they don't know that. Yeah, Storm can't control her lightning powers. So she accidentally like blows up some ships, not from her own uh, decisions. And that, that worries her. Um, Carol Storm does something is, where she uh, uh, thinks really hard and realizes she has a brood in her and flies away. I don't understand what happened there. Yeah, she's out, she's somehow able to use her like senses to tell what's happening inside her body, and she and she and she gets into a little escape pod and separates herself from everybody. And that's when Wolverine tells everybody they have brood inside them. Uh, and then Binary flies out of the ship to go. Attack the brood and the X Men once again are thrust into space. <laughs> this happened a few times yeah. already to the X Men. So that issue ends with them being thrust into space. But this is sort of an 
X many cliffhanger because they get they get they they solve that problem pretty quick at the top of the next issue. Yeah, that's right. So the next issue, okay, so now Paul Smith is on board, mm-hmm. and I do think his art really helps it. Like, it's it's clean and easy to look at, so the action is a bit easier to discern, and he also kind of invokes just a feeling of sort of space majesty. It kind of gives it an epic feel that, I don't know, it, the tone matches the story a bit better, I think. Yeah, I think he does better with the Earth stuff. We cut to like Moira and Professor X and uh, the dance instructor Steve and Ileana all, all at the pool or whatever. Uh, and his Steve Hunter. Really, Stevie Hunter. Uh, uh, the stuff really shines there, I think, even more. Or like um, Storm turning into the brood temporarily. That all looks great more than the action sequences. But I think his action sequences in the next few issues get better and better and better. I don't know how much Paul Smith has done at this time. Um, if he is a seasoned pro already, or if he is a, a newish, I have no idea. Or if he had if maybe this one issue he was rushed on. Uh, I forgot it, to say like last issue, there was a little interlude with professor X and Oliana on earth. And they're sort of starting to plant seeds for the new mutants, which is going to start soon. Right. Yeah. Though and Oliana it, doesn't join that team initially. Um. Okay, but they we sort of cut yeah. away to his Professor X. Professor X has got the guilt of all the stuff that's gone wrong, and he's not sure whether he should continue. And um, yeah, this issue brings up Karma, who is a founding member of the New Mutants, who I guess Chris Claremont created in a different comic. Okay, I looked yeah. into that recently. Yeah. Um, and uh, this might be right when the New Mutants started because. Um, Next mutants and mailbags. We're going to cover the uh, uh, the first appearance of the new mutants in the X Men comic, and yeah. it corresponds with New Mutants issue three or four. So okay, new yeah. mutants may have already have begun at this point. Yeah, it's this is around the time of the start. We could say that. And and I've read the New Mutants graphic novel. I don't know if I read the first like year of that comic, but I've read later issues of it. If I was reading this and New Mutants, I'd be way more into New Mutants at this point. You really, yeah. Kevin's had it with the X Men. I'll I'll say it. And it's not the X Men. Don't blame the team. You've had it with the Brood. Yes, I've had okay. it with the Brood. I'm done yeah. with them. He's he loves the X Men, but he hasn't liked the last years of issues. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, also in issue 165, I totally lose track of what happens here. But Storm, after jettisoning herself from the X Men because she realizes she has an egg inside of her, doesn't psychic- realize everyone else does, but no, she right. does. She psychically bonds with one of the space whales. Does that happen this issue? Yes. Because she that, starts that's next issue. I think it's revealed next issue what's happening, but at the very end of this issue, yeah, it does. Uh, it but is it, revealed. Okay, you're she, right. She starts appearing in different projected forms to the X-Men. She appears as a child, as a teenager, um, as different All forms ages. we've seen her as, yeah. And it's not clear what's going on. Uh, also, uh, Peter and Kitty kiss maybe for the first time. It's not their first kiss because uh, she kissed when she went to Hellfire Club, but it is yet another passionate kiss between, though at least here they're acknowledging they shouldn't be kissing. Yeah, she's too so young for him. Almost makes it more creepy to be like, I'm way too old for you. Now I'm going to kiss you passionately like a romance <laughs> cover. <laughs> um, but some, so, uh, you know, the storm stuff, which sort of becomes the way they beat the brood is really confusing to me. Let's go to the next issue because that's where it all gets explained. I mean, explained, yes. So the next issue is double-sized. So for me, someone who was not enjoying this brood story, it's like, oh, great, 20 more pages of it. Yeah, lots of brood. Um, And I think Paul Smith's art is even better in this issue than the last issue. uh, I think so too. Um, Now, like I say, to summarize this is confusing. But basically, these space whales, which were revealed to be the transport for the brood, mm-hmm. like sentient creatures that who they would sort of lobotomize and then use as like dumb uh, cattle, um, we learn their whole backstory and that they are a noble race yeah. and that they had a leader who was a prophet and the prophet was colonized by the brood or something and the prophet's soul is trapped in its brain dead body even after it fully died on the planet, 
Right. So he can't reincarnate as their next profit leader. Right. So the space whales don't have an active profit leader and that makes them weak. But then they kind of do have a young profit leader. Right. That doesn't make sense to me. So they, they also do have a little baby one and Storm has psychically bonded with that one. But so it has the profitness, but it doesn't have the soul of the old one. And that baby one is one that Storm killed. No, okay. the Wolverine killed somebody. No, binary killed. Binary kills a, a whale, and that soul is released into space, where it connects with Storm, who is dying in space. And somehow they save each other. Yeah, and, and, so, and so the whale is reborn, and Storm is connected with it somehow. It gets confusing because there's an old prophet whale who's dead but has a soul, and yeah. now a new prophet whale who's alive but dead but doesn't have a soul but is bonded with Storm. Yeah, something, something like, that. like that. And then like Storm rallies the X-Men and says, forget about the brood. We just have to free and save the whales, basically, the space whales. And so they they get involved in this in this double size issue. Yeah. And know, there's a nice moment where the X-Men are are like, well, I don't know if that will save us. It probably won't. There's no reason why they think it will save them, but they're like, if we can die saving this whale race, at least we're dying doing something rather than just turning into brood while running away. And I think that is a cool heroic thing for them. Yeah, they'd rather they they've had this debate like killing versus saving lives, and they'd rather go out saving lives, and they agree to be united on that. So they kind of go through a complicated mission. And it's, again, the mechanics of it get very unclear to me. Luckily, to simplify things, the Star Jammers enter the picture also. So now we have twice as many people. And we meet Lockheed. Oh, yeah. And then there's just a dragon for no reason that I can see. A dragon just exists on this planet. The one that existed in the nighttime story that Kitty told Ilyana exists now in real life and saves Kitty Kitty's life at one point. Like a little version of that, yeah. Uh, and it, it seems like it eats brood eggs. It, it devours a nest of brood eggs in this story, and that's a little humorous moment. Um, there's also a whole, like, kind of, like, the thing aspect happening where, like, we don't know which of the X-Men, how far they are along their transformation into brood. And we found out at one point that Cyclops has secretly turned into an evil creature and not told anybody and Wolverine figures it out, pulls off his visor and we see brood eyes on yeah. Cyclops. That's like a big dramatic moment. I mean, it isn't, it is nice and subtle. Like he's just sort of sniping at Wolverine, which isn't out of character. But then he's like, who cares if Kitty pride is okay. And that is a giveaway that Cyclops is not himself. Uh, yeah. And so Cyclops has turned um, the others might be close, right? But then, like, Kitty has discovered some sort of crystal brain chasm. Right. And then, like, the queen of the brood agrees to go in there. And whatever happened, and because she thinks she can infect that crystal chasm to become evil, but instead the crystal chasm infects her to become crystal. And that was cures totally the X-Men. I don't was, understand any of that. I don't understand any of that either. Even like when they agree to walk in the Crystal Cavern, it seems like there's a temporary truce between the Queen and the X-Men in a way that I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know why she would agree to go in there. Why they calm down. They really calm down in front of the Queen. Yeah. But it's one of these things where it just kind of all gets saved. Like, and then at the end, Storm like, enters the room. I'm better too. <laughs> Yeah, the issue so, ends. somehow binary Carol Danvers as binary does something with the star that finally unites the soul from the dead prophet whale up into the no longer dead new baby prophet whale and everything's cool. Yeah. Right. And Storm decides to become human again. And Storm's just human again. She's been a vampire. She's a brute. Now she's human. Yeah. But there is a twist, Kevin, at the end. If you thought you were out of the brood, you're not yet because yeah. the queen before turning to crystal reveals that there is another royal egg implanted so that even if she dies, the brood are going to be okay because there's another queen growing somewhere. And Kevin, do you know where that royal egg is? Yeah, I do, because I read the comic. It's in Professor X's noggin. Right, so it's revealed that Professor X, who was you know in a coma having a psychic battle, is on Earth, unbeknownst to him, hosting a royal brood egg inside of him. Yeah. And I've read that next issue, which we'll talk about next episode. And I enjoyed that issue. Uh, but I enjoyed that issue because it was mostly like, 
the X-Men and New Mutants kind of meeting each other and all that stuff was really fun. And the brood yeah. stuff was almost secondary. Yeah. Uh, so if you're like me and tired of brood stuff, next issue is better. And uh, the issue after that is also really fun. And I, I have a couple more issues to read before our next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope they continue on that trajectory. Yeah. Um, I know Will loves the brood and loved this whole year of the X-Men. I'm team uh, brood. I'm 100% on board with everything that's happened. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. To, I, I am still interested in filling in my gaps of X knowledge. Like I just never read any of these books uh, at the time. Or I think I would buy an issue now and then and just be so confused. I'd be like, I think I don't care. I mean, if you well, read this issue, if this was an issue you tried, you, you'd be like, you'd be done. You'd be like, I don't know what's going on. I did. You know, weirdly, I would buy other X books. I remember buying a lot of the New Mutants. I certainly started buying the New Mutants once Bill Kevitz was doing the art. Right. I think that's why I've read a bunch of those because we had them. Yeah, and um, and I bought all the Alpha Flights, which is sort of kind of X adjacent. I, I um, bought the first couple of years of X Factor. I think just because at that age, like a new number one book, it felt like such a nice entry level. I don't think I super enjoyed it, but it was also seeped in history because it was like the original X Men. Um, though they introduced new characters, and I was very interested in those characters a lot. Uh, and but, I know by, by issue by issue one ninety, I was buying X Men. I know that I uh, was starting with 190. I started buying it because I know that when 200 came around, I was getting it every every month. I um I tried X Factor and I also tried Excalibur and I loved Excalibur uh, for the first year or so. And then it got really bad, I think. And I stopped reading it after a while. Uh, and as I got older, I realized, oh, I stopped enjoying this when Alan Davis left the book. Yeah. Uh, and then he came back to the book. I started buying it again. And it, that's a really great run in the middle of Excalibur. Yeah, because uh, Alan Davis is a, a, a talent. Uh, he's really good, that guy. I mean, he's no, he's no, I wish he drew some brood, but other than that, I like him. <laughs> he might have. I mean, Jesus, he's drawn everything. All right, so uh, should we take a break and enter some email? Let's do it, Will. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics as partnered with Shortboxed. Shortboxed is an app and a website where you can safely buy and sell graded comics online. They're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. As part of our partnership, we're going to be doing periodic giveaways. Uh, Their first giveaway is Dark Knight Returns number one. This is the 2018 foil cover edition, but it's signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, and it's graded 9.8. It's worth over $300 on most uh, things that value those sorts of things. Nice. So to enter this contest, go to shortbox.com slash screw it and enter your email. That's going into March 10, 2022. Everybody go ahead and do it. It's free. No purchase necessary. They will send you a coupon with $15 of credit if you want to buy something at Shortbox but that's up to you. Yeah, but if you get a coupon, you got to use it. That's a law. You got to use all your coupons. Yeah. Kevin, if you were going to buy something from Shortbox today, what might you go shopping for? You can get anything you want. I'm going to get something with a piece of like gold oh, attached to it. Yes, or, I should have, yes, um, I should have said you can't make those kind of conditions. You have to actually just pick a comic book that you want for the comic I itself. I see. So nothing with secret riches or a treasure map. That was my next choice. I don't think they have such things on Shortboxed. I, mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at every listing. I haven't searched for hidden jewels on the app, but mm-hmm. I assume that's just not one of the comics they have. Well, if I can't ask for one with a treasure map in it, I will ask for Amazing Spider-Man 18. I believe mm. that's the the middle of the cowardly Spider-Man arc as I'm going to dub it right now. Okay. So 17 is the one where he runs away from a fight with the Green Goblin because he hears Aunt May is in the hospital. And 19 yeah. is where he suits up again and fights. But 18 is the issue in between where he spends the whole issue like hiding from action. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because he can't risk hurting himself while Aunt yeah. May depends on him so much. And it is so fun. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, just for Jonah Jameson's pure happiness. <laughs> I remember it. I mean, when we covered uh, all the Spidey issues, I remember we sort of discovered like, oh, this little three issue run is a great mini arc back in the original Amazing Spider-Man issues. Yeah, uh, it's it's so fun. So it, I think about it a lot. Uh, mine would be Fantastic Four 232. This is the first issue that was written and drawn by John Byrne. And I love it. I, I love that whole era of Fantastic Four. I love that issue in particular. So it's got kind of personal, you know, significance to me.
enemy. Diablo is the villain. And I just remember thinking it's really fun. I would I would get that issue. You love potion based villains. They're uh, they're my weakness. What can I say? Uh, that is a great run. John Burns whole run. It's just there's something both new and classic about it at the same time. It's just so great. Glad you started talking because I was trying to think of other potion based villains and I was really <laughs> coming up short. I've got to hope there isn't one, but I mean, there probably is. So everybody, um, please enter the contest and download the app and uh, check it out. Let's get back to the show. Now? All right, we are back and it's time for us to get to the mailbags portion of our Mutants and Mailbags episode. If you want to email us, email us at screwitcomics at gmail. Uh, you can also tweet at us at screwitcomics or you can... Instagram at us at Screw It Comics on Instagram. Um, yeah. uh, we want to hear want to be... your opinions on comics, on mutants, on the Dark Knight Returns, on Daredevil's Born Again, which we cover after Dark Knight Returns, uh, or anything comics related. I try to respond to anything people reach out to us with on social media, but I tend to forget about those when it comes time to recording our podcast. So if you want something read on the podcast, email is your best option. Email is the way to go. But if you just want to Tell Kevin that he's crazy for not liking the brood. You can do that on any of our channels. Um, all right, Kevin, what do we got? Um, nothing. No, uh, we've got a few things. Uh, this is interesting just based on your our recent discussion, Will. This is somebody wrote in based on our uh, conversation about X-Men 159, the Dracula issue. Okay. This is from Ben. Dear Milksops, I just finished listening to episode 17 of Mutants and Mailbanks, and now I am forlorn. You both agreed, though I guess well less than me, that this issue featuring Dracula was bad. Both of you. I would like to tell you a story from the year of 1982. A young boy of nine excitedly drives his huffy BMX bike to the local IGA and enters a store, practically runs to the spinner rack to frantically look for the Marvel comic title that all his friends have been talking about. After what seems like an eternity, he locates an orange and black cover with the title The Uncanny X-Men, numbered 159. He goes to the counter and gives the cashier two quarters and a dime that he has saved over the weeks from his milk money. He runs back to the curb where he has parked his bike and sits down to read the issue, too impatient to wait until he gets home. He instantly falls in love with this ragtag group of misfits, and it changes his life forever. Fast forward 40 years, and this boy, now a man of 49, is listening to a podcast hosted by two brothers who ripped this magical issue to shreds. The same adored issue that introduced the nine-year-old boy to the incredible world of the X-Men. The same issue that the now 49-year-old man tracked down on eBay and paid an exorbitant amount of money to have it encased in the CGC slab. 9.6 grade. Uh, and after your savage review, I have no choice but to do the one thing I never imagined I would be capable of. I will not download any more of your podcasts for two days. Hmm. We only put it at one out once a week. Yeah, it's not too much of a threat, but uh, I appreciate. Uh, uh, but but I I accept the 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 comment. Yeah. I hope this pains you both as much as it pains me. I hope this action cuts both of you to the very core of your decaying souls. Uh, of course, after the two days of my self-imposed screw it comics embargo's over, I will continue to download the episodes that I've done faithfully since the beginning. Sincerely, Ben. And he attached a photo of his encased uh, Dracula issue with a really cool Bill Sinkiewicz cover. It looks great. Yeah, it looks like a better comic than I think it is. Um, I, you know, I'm not as down on these comics as Kevin. I've I've realized. Uh, I mean, I do think the Dracula stuff was silly and kind of like didn't fit in the vibe of X Men. I did love the religious, the very brief sort of religious stuff with Nightcrawler and Kitty, and you know where we find out that Nightcrawler's Christian and Kitty's Jewish and Wolverine's an atheist. I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't, and also I'm just glad to hear that. I like to hear, you know. Mm -hmm. I like to hear from people who have different views than us. I think even that religion stuff is touched on a little bit in one of the Paul Smith issues that's coming up in a better way. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I, if somebody likes an issue that we didn't or didn't like an issue that we did, I think it's interesting to hear. Yeah. I also think uh, every comic is somebody's favorite. Sure. Right? Every issue is somebody loves and somebody hates. Like uh, Kerp Usaic posted um, – a letter he wrote to, or I think we talked about it as well, but he also posted about this on Twitter, him like, or no, maybe a review he wrote where he ripped apart the Dark Phoenix saga. Yes, I read that review. Like, that he, he just hated it. He hated the Dark Phoenix saga, one of the most famous and beloved storylines in X-Men history that he's come around to liking now. Yeah. But just like if something strikes you the wrong way, it's just tough. It also depends when you discover it or whatever, whatever your gateway into the book is is special to you. Yeah. 
I mean, I love the weird Dick Ebersol years of SNL and they're like, yeah, nobody likes those, but that's when I was 13. So I have an affection for them. Yeah. And everybody loves the Mark Wade run on flash. And I'm always like, I preferred it when it was Will Messner Loeb's just before that. Yeah. Uh, and then, and like the Mark Wade run is heralded it as like making Wally West a great character and kind of catapulting flash into like the upper levels of the nineties uh, DC universe. And I was like, eh, I liked it better a couple of years ago, because that's when I started reading it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm right. Everybody else is wrong, but then all right. It's, it's, tough. it's tough on, uh, uh, you know, it's tough for everyone to be wrong all the time. Thank you, Ben. Uh, we have an email here from James. Also, from I, hope he bought, I hope he bought that comic on Shortbox, that graded slab situation, our sponsor. Oh, nice. Nice work there, Will. There you go. Uh, yeah, there's someone with a slabbed comic that we've now made regret his purchase. is just another <laughs> slap in the face of our sponsor, Shortbox. <laughs> you know, they really don't like us making collectors angry. <laughs> Uh, we have another email from James from Germany. I think this is our second email from James. Uh, hello, you cowardly panty wastes. Wow. It is I, James from Germany. Oh, yeah, it is. I see you read my last email, and I appreciate you generously. Your generosity. Uh, doesn't make you two unique brothers any less cowardly. Uh, anyways, I was wondering if you boys enjoyed the classic Jim, uh, he said Sterling, but I think he means Jim Starlin, Thanos comics. I really love the era Jim wrote, and I wish he got credited more. He really deserves it. Uh, and then he asks another question. Have you read any Thanos comics? I don't think I have. No, they're good. Yeah. Uh, the Thanos stuff, at least initially sort of was like one of these weird things that sort of like Thanos would show up in a couple of issues of Iron Man and then the Avengers, like whatever Jim Starlin was writing, he would sort of drag Thanos along with him. Mm -hmm. And some of that early stuff was very hit or miss and very inconsistent. But when he starts firing at all cylinders, which is like during silver surfer time, uh, which leads into the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, it's great. Uh, and Jim Starlin's great. And he does some later stuff that I think is really good too. I think Jim Starlin, uh, as I said, like hit or miss for me, but when he's good, oh man, he's really fun. He does Cosmic really well. Yeah. Uh, then he asks, uh, I was wondering if either of you have gotten to watching Peacemaker yet. It's the sequel series to James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And despite being very risque, it has so much heart. I think you Milksops would love it. Anyways, have a good rest of the podcast. This better not be the last email or I'll have to take Will up on the challenge he offered me. Uh, I don't remember what that challenge was, Will. Neither. Uh, that's James from Germany. Uh, this is, will not be the last email though. So I guess we're safe from that challenge. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, you're a big fan of Peacemaker, right, Kev? I'm loving Peacemaker. Uh, uh, as of this recording, there's one more episode to air and my cat is now purring right next to the microphone. I don't know if that's being picked up. I apologize. I don't hear it, but maybe the listeners um, do. Uh, it's very loud in my ears. Um, uh, yeah, I'm loving Peacemaker. I think it is great. I'm a James Gunn fan. I've enjoyed most of his uh, movies mm -hmm. and works. Um, and I liked The Suicide Squad all right, but I'm loving Peacemaker. It is just, it is hitting right in that spot that I like of comedy, action, horror, whatever. Uh, uh, that sort of sweet spot. Uh, heart, just the right amount of heart. Um, Sometimes I find like sweet moments in a kind of a violent, silly show hit me harder than sweet moments in like a sweet show. Mm -hmm. I don't expect them if they're done well and they're done very well in that show. I, I think yeah. it's great. I'm really enjoying it too. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, um, I, I'm also a fan of James Gunn. Um, yeah. I, I, I sometimes do have like, um, I get a little weary if I watch too much superhero stuff all at once. Like if I watched like all of Hawkeye and then all of Peacemaker and then like Black Widow, the, you know, the movie or something, it's almost as like, I'm tired of the genre, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, separate from however good any particular installment of it is. Uh, Cause they all kind of have like people on a job making like action movie level jokes to each other. Sometimes I, sometimes I get a little weary of the bro-ness. Um, but it's really good. I don't even know why I'm bringing that up because it's it's a really good series. So uh, yeah. and I'm going to keep watching it. So what do I? Uh, I mean, James Gunn stuff also has a lot of uh, almost like juvenile humor, particularly Peacemaker more than uh, uh, some of his other stuff. Uh, you know, and it's coming from characters that are juvenile characters. These are not characters that are meant to be like cool and uh, 
held up as people we look up to. They're jerks and a-holes and <laughs> D-bags. And so it's yeah. like when they say these things and it, you worry sometimes it's like, oh, is this show just trying to have it both ways? And it's like, it's getting away with saying these things um, that you can laugh at. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think so. I think I don't think you're don't meant think to laugh so at what either. they're saying. I think you're meant to laugh at that they're saying it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it seems to be delivered that way to me, at least. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And John Cena is great, man. John Cena is really is great good. Overall, the cast but... is really good. Yeah, I don't know if I think it's that risque. If I just become, I don't too... think it's that risque either. I think it just makes comments like there's dildo jokes, right, or or, or yeah. uh, uh, PC jokes, like as peacemaker is sort of i i wouldn't say anti anti-pc but sort of he says things that are anti-pc and then it's brought out to him and he's like really oh God. <laughs> like yeah but he is actually trying to be a better person throughout the show so it's not like he's totally against it uh, but there are moments of that throughout yeah. the show yeah um but yeah, it's always, I mean, it's, it's always interesting when a show hits that sweet spot of being known as risque. Yeah. And then you watch it, you're like, it's not really that risky. I mean, I guess it's a superhero show and there were like naked women, drugs and, and yeah. And some pretty significant violence. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not for kids. That's for sure. Yeah. It's not as risque as like the Harley Quinn cartoon, I would say. Yeah. It goes further probably. Right. Right. Uh, but I'm loving it. I'm loving the Peacemaker show. Um, I was looking forward to it because James Gunn's involvement, but I wasn't sure what I would think of it because the character is sort of very one note in the Suicide Squad. And I don't really know what I thought of John Cena either as like the leading character. I really enjoyed him in Suicide Squad, but I was like, ah, he seems like a good guy to put a show around, but I, I don't know for sure. And he yeah. delivers. And the, the vigilante character is tremendously fun. Uh, yeah, he's, he's very, uh, I love that, the, the characterization of him for sure. And uh, anyway. a great costume. Yeah. George, George Perez designed. Uh, a lot of people say Steve Ditko designed that costume. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for asking about that, James. I was happy to talk about Peacemaker. I wanted to talk about it before it ended, which it will be by the time this episode probably airs. Yes, but, for sure. But close. Um, let's do another one. This is from Mark D. Well, I don't know if you remember, Mark D. talked about not buying the Death of Phoenix when he saw it on the rack as a kid. Yes, yes, I remember that. Decided to pass on it. Right. Um, Dear brothers, I have great affection for those original issues of Dark Knight Returns because they represent my greatest success as a comic book collector. I've already shared the sad tale of my greatest disaster, the time I encountered the Death of Phoenix issue of the Uncanny X-Men at the newsstand and but passed on buying it. Not enough Watu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, when the Dark Knight came along a few years later, I was determined to avoid the same mistake. I bagged and boarded my first printings of each issue and held on to the set for decades. I finally parted with them when a local comic book shop held a buying event just a few years ago. As I recall, I received a 300% return on my investment. <laughs> for the stock market, this would be legendary. For a comic book with cover price of $5, well, it's not quite the same. Uh, yours in genteel poverty, Mark D., uh, which is a really fun story. Yeah. He asks if we have any prized possessions in our comic vaults. Uh, yeah, I have one. Um, do you have any, Kev? Not really. I mean, I probably do. And, and I, I've gotten rid of a lot of comics, so I maybe have already gotten rid of this, but I had it one. I probably still have like the Hulk uh, versus Wolverine McFarlane issue of uh, Hulk. I think that's probably worth a decent amount. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's probably up there, but I don't have anything old. I have an original copy of Amazing Spider-Man 33, the end of the Master Planner trilogy. I mean, it's very beaten up, but I bought it when I was 14 yeah. for like 40 bucks. I mean, it's really beaten to hell. Yeah. But it's sentimental because it is an original pressing of that issue that Kevin and I both love. Um, I have some old issues of Love and Rockets, which is an indie comic that I adored for many, many years. And I have some very early issues of that. Um, and... I have um, my I have a number of the Frank Miller drawn Daredevils from his first run, and I and for example the one where Electra dies, and um, I have a lot of those issues that when I got rid of most of my comics, I held on to those because I just seemed I just couldn't bear to part with them. I think I held on to the burned FFs for a while, but then I then I relented those to you, Kevin, and I think you might have sold them. You went through I a big have... thing of selling lots of the old stuff. Yeah, anything I had collected, I tried to get rid of these single issues just because I just don't have space. 
Yeah. Um, but I'm going to say Amazing Spider-Man 33 is my my jewel. Because I have the Fantastic Four John Byrne Visionaries collection. So I have the issues in I have that nice too. trades. Yeah. Um, now, Amazing Spider-Man 33, there's not much brood in that. So how do you get that's through my, that as a reader? That's my one thing I don't like about it was I was waiting the whole time for the brood to show up. And instead, yeah. it's just Spidey going through this moral victory over yeah. Dr. Octopus. But whatever. It's kind of slow for that reason. Yeah. Um, Mark D also emails uh, with some Dave Sim talk. Okay. Uh, we talked about Dave Sim last episode, Will, because of yeah, uh, Cere- the Cerebus parody. The character that we did not realize was a Cerebus char- uh, parody, Sim. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we he looks exactly like Cerebus. Yeah, the Sim character looks like Cerebus. We did not connect with Dave Sim's Cerebus. Right. Um, Canadian cartoonist Dave Sim satirized many comic book tropes in the pages of Cerebus, as black and white independent comic. His favorite vehicle for this was his Roach character, a hopelessly deluded man who thought he was a superhero. Over the years, the Roach took on various super identities from Captain Cockroach, Captain America, to Wolver Roach to Moon Roach. At one point, the Roach turns into a grim, dark anti-hero and dresses up in an all-black costume similar to Spidey's suit from the Secret Wars. The Roach stumbles off a tall tower and speeds towards the ground. He breaks his fall by latching onto the wall with his sticky feet. Pock! The sudden wrenching stops, causing a crack, snap, rip, and this Dark Knight-style internal monologue happens. So he's doing this because it reminds him of the Frank Miller dialogue, Will. Yeah. Torn ligaments, severed tendons, slit discs, dislocated spine. Whiplash, fractured ribs, internal bleeding, short shoulder separations too. Mustn't black out. Mm. So those spacings were all uh, in this email. So I assume it was separate captions for each of those. Yeah, and it does feel like a nice Very dark night yeah. spoof. Uh, he also talks about Mark Marin also took aim at Frank Miller's hard boiled writing in his Nat Rat comics, which came out in the midst of his black and white comics boom. It's a silly take on Batman comics set in the world of anthropomorphic animals. The title character is a wealthy rat who turns to fighting crime after a gnat jumps to his window. <laughs> uh, there are too many hijinks to quote here, but what sets this book apart is Martin's skill as an illustrator and his commitment to the bit. He manages to weave a story about gnat rat that pokes fun at dozens of comic books while aping their art styles, including the Dark Knight Returns, the Daredevil Born Again storyline, Elektra Assassin, and more. Totally bizarre, but possibly worth tracking down. Uh, are there any parts of the Dark Knight that you love to make fun of, or superhero parodies that strike your fancy? What are I mean the the I mean this is so dumb, but Kevin and I were fans of Ambush Bug, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in a in a miniseries in the early '80s, um, written and outlined by Keith Giffen, um, and I think it's Robert Lauren. Oh gosh, I forgot the name of Fleming, who did the dialogue, and uh, we just thought those were super funny. Um, and, 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 and there were like parodies of a lot of DC stuff along the way, uh, yeah. that I, that I, that I really loved. I don't know if I can think of other parodies that I've, I mean, I, Fred Hembeck would do some like very toothless mm-hmm. parodies sometimes. And I just enjoyed how silly his art was. I mean, the tick was a big one for me, the tick comic. Oh yeah. Way better answer. I, 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 I cede my time to Kevin. Uh, it has more story, I guess, than ambush bug. I don't know what that really means. Uh, and great art. I mean, there's only like 11, he only did like 11 issues of the tech. It would come out so slowly and so rarely, but then it became a cartoon series and two different live action television shows. Yeah. Uh, so he's doing okay, I think, but I really love that comic when, when I first discovered it, uh, somewhere around issue seven or eight. Uh, so it was almost over already, but it was years before it actually ended. Um, but yeah, the, the tick was fun. He sort of poked at superhero tropes overall more than any specific superhero. Um, there's definitely like an issue where he goes to work as a crossword editor for the for a for a daily planet like comics where there is a Superman-like character who's frustrated by how the tick is giving away his secret identity by being there. <laughs> and it's very silly and fun. And you know, there's super villains and stuff like that. And Venture Brothers also, I really love that in the later seasons of that show, it basically just becomes a superhero parody show. They parody the fantastic four and superheroes overall in general. And it's, uh, it starts as like a Johnny quest spoof, but certainly turns into more of a superhero spoof show as it goes on. Um, and it's wonderful. Kevin, that's a good answer. Yeah. Ambush bug is also great. <laughs> My answer was insane. Kevin has better answers. Uh, Fred Hembeck. I mean, most people think Fred Hembeck <laughs> first. <laughs> 
Thank you, Mark D, for your two emails. Let's do one more, Will. This is from Brian with a Y. Hello, Heinz Brothers. I'm loving your series in The Dark Knight Returns. I started reading comics right around the time when it hit the stands, but at 10 years old, it would have been a few years before I discovered it. If you're looking to cover other comics that came out around the same time that were a formative influence on me, might I recommend Transformers number 13, <laughs> in which Megatron is stuck in gun mode for the entire issue and winds up found by a small time of hood who uses him to launch a one-man crime wave. I got to be honest, that sounds like a pretty good issue of Transformers. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the reason I'm writing in is to mention that I grew up in town in Vermont next to the one Frank Miller grew up in. Mm. He's about a decade or so older than me, but some of my friends went to the same high school he went to, which had a mural painted by Miller when he was a student on one of the walls until the school decided to paint over it. Whoops. <laughs> uh, when he came back to central Vermont over the holidays, Frank would sometimes stop into the local comic shops, which I basically lived in. I was there during one of his visits, but he was, but I was too intimidated to speak to him, even though he seemed like a perfectly nice person. Yeah. Also, apparently when Frank was a young boy, he used to watch reruns of the George Reeves Superman show and asked his mom to make him a superhero costume. But because the show wasn't black and white, that was his reference for the colors. So that was what the costume looked like. He wore it under his regular clothes for an entire year. I love the idea of a five-year-old Frank Miller running around in a monochromatic comics costume. Talk about foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, uh, keep up the excellent work. Your episodes always go to the top of my feed when they drop. And I hope we can get you back on Marvel by the month to talk about, Oh, this is Brian from Marvel the month. I didn't connect to that right away. Uh, and I hope we can get you back on Marvel by the month to talk about more weird old seventies comics. <laughs> Brian is one of the hosts of Marvel yeah. by the month that we appeared on where he covers all, or he and his co-hosts cover all of the comics from a specific month of Marvel comics, good and bad, good and bad. Yeah. So they get stuck in sometimes long ruts if Marvel's going through kind of a bad period. Yeah. They, they, and like, and maybe in that sense, these X-Men comics, let's wrap it around. Like, I don't know what else came out that month. Maybe these issues stand out still compared to what was coming out right around them. I have no idea. Let me, uh, are we going to wrap up now? Yeah. 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 That's it. We're so let me ask you this before we go, Kevin, try to, I'm going to challenge you. What do you think is, what do you think made these comics a hit? I think uh, uh, these specific issues, I don't think anything. I think it was momentum. I think there was something. I'm thinking about it. Because, um, you know, I, I've been listening to these uh, to these um, unspooled episodes with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson where they review movies, and I'm really mm -hmm. enjoying it. Sure. Uh, love this. But, you know, if, if I'm listening to a movie that uh, them talk about a movie that I happen to love and they're not so into it, they're, they're very good about articulating why they don't like it. But sometimes I'm a little bit, I'm shouting at them like, well, you're not appreciating it. You're missing it is what I, is what I think. Mm -hmm. So in, on behalf of that person who loved these. Like when they titles, ripped apart Ace Ventura, you were. I was just like, the transphobic stuff is what I like is what I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I doubt they cover that on the school. But, uh... I, I, that's the part. That movie is one of the pinnacles of transphobia, which is what I was into. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but um, no one had talked out of their asshole before. Mm. Um, like they, they didn't like Hoosiers so much. They had, they had perfectly like I understood their experience of not liking Hoosiers, but I love Hoosiers. And I was like, Oh, it's interesting that they couldn't see what was enjoyable about it. Um, and I'm like, I can see, first of all, X-Men is like compared to other books. It is like the, the chaos. What we think is a bug could be a feature. Mm -hmm. Like the complicated stuff is, is kind of fun. It's kind of like, it's kind of just like crazy in a, in a way where other, maybe other comics feel too contained and neat. And there's a feeling of, I don't know what's going to happen in the X-Men. Sure. Also, there's a lot of like spiritual, philosophical stuff. Sometimes it's messy and thrown around and inconsistent, but you know, they're debating over whether or not to kill. Storm is talking about her soul being connected to this, this like being. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, I don't understand sometimes how that affects the winning or losing of a plot point, but it's like kind of rad just to have this weather goddess talk about being united with a space being that, that, that might be something where somebody's reading and they're just kind of tickled. They're, they're rooting for that story. Even if the details are messy. Yeah. Uh, I can't say uh, for sure. Cause it's hard for me to remove my brain and what I know, but all I know is like, 
that stuff maybe I don't mind the messiness of it. I don't mind the chaos of it. I feel like we've commented on the chaos since we started reading these comics. I, I should it's say I'm not, I'm not trying to talk you out of your opinion. Yeah. I, I like your opinion. I, I'm speaking for the people listening who love those issues. So I, I'm not trying to change your mind at all. I, I see where you're coming from. I'm I probably, think there's just been eight to ten issues over a, a yeah. little over a year's time covering the story. And there's no ending that I would have been like, ah, what a cool ending. That was worth the ride. I, mm-hmm. I'm just sort of done with it. Yeah. I want it over sooner. Um, I feel like the character moments are getting lost in the in the uh, drawn out aspect of it. But I, I definitely have read comics. I've described a few already where I it goes through these stretches where I'm like, oh, it's Peter David wrote the Hulk for 12 years. There were stretches I did not like. Yeah. Um, sometimes it was his fault because I think he was writing stuff I didn't like. Sometimes it was not his fault because he was kind of being forced by uh, Marvel. To do some crossover edicts type stuff, like when he couldn't have Bruce Banner in his comic for a while, that was a weird stretch. <laughs> yeah, um, and so he just had sort of a mindless Hulk comic for a while. Um, uh, and even like uh, some of his great stuff, like the Pantheon arc. By the end of that, I was sort of bored of it, but because I enjoyed so much of it that preceded it, it was pretty easy for me to weather the bad stuff to wait for the good stuff to kick in again. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what I would have, depending on when I'd started reading this X-Men comic, I probably do weather this comic, but I probably do go, Ugh, I hope it gets good again. Yeah. Uh, I probably be like, I wish burn would come back. Uh, yeah. cause like, that's the last time it was good. And I don't necessarily blame Cockrum for, uh, this. I think Cockrum does some really good stuff. Why do you think Paul Smith arriving is, is another, yeah. another good element in addition to the character building elements that I liked in the last batch? But I bet if I try, if I'm buying this as it comes out and I pick up New Mutants, and maybe I do, maybe I don't. Maybe I try New Mutants. Uh, and I'm like, oh, New Mutants is pretty good. And then this next issue with the New Mutants showing up is pretty fun. Uh, it might give me faith, like, oh, it's getting its feet back underneath it. And like, we're going to get to some earthbound stuff and I'm going to be totally on board again. Yeah. Um, and, you well, know, they've they, they got some Rogue stuff coming up, which I have not read yet, but I, uh, I'm excited for that. I think Rogue is a very cool power set and a cool character. And so I do think, like, I could have weathered this, but I've read comics like this. Uh, I've read comics my whole life, and I've definitely had stretches where I'm like, ugh, still? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I pick it up, and I'm like, I forgot. I'm like, oh, X-Men, and I would pick it up, uh, right. and it'd be like, oh, it's still doing Brood. I forgot they were doing this Brood thing that I don't care yeah. about. And I would drop it to like the bottom of my pile and be like, I'll read it later. Right. That's what I think I would feel like at this point. Uh, I might still love the X-Men, uh, but I probably would not love this era. Uh, uh, I might. Who knows? I don't okay. know. Uh, uh, it's hard well, to know what else I was reading at the time in this hypothetical me. Well, let's see if we uh, get one over by the next issues because we'll, we're going to do more in the next issue of Mutants and Mailbags. Yeah. Uh, email screwitcomics at Gmail, Twitter screwitcomics, Instagram screwitcomics. Thanks for uh, contacting us, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it, screw it. Just about comics. I'm Kate Thompson. And I'm Mark David Christensen. And together we host Ah oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the half-demon hero brought forth by writer-artist Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. Each week, we discuss everything Hellboy. Plus his expanded universe with the BPRD, Abe Sapien, Lobster Johnson, and many more. That's Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.